0: Good evening, everyone. Thank you, sis, for that wonderful song. God is speaking, is he not? Praise the Lord. And I pray he's been speaking to you every single night, every single day of this uh, 40-foot fruit fast. I pray that he's been speaking to you on the prayer line and you have received the Holy Spirit since we have begun this thing, praying for all of you in a special way. Tonight, will you turn with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. When you have it, just say amen. Amen. Allow me to read. Paul says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is indeed the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want to speak to you briefly from the subject, God's gallery god's gallery father in heaven thank you for allowing us to come into this place just one more time we applaud you today god we don't pat ourselves on the back the word tells us god it's not by works it's it's by grace it is a gift of god so we thank you god for bringing us into this place even when we didn't have sense enough to know that we needed you thank you god Tonight, as we spend just a few brief moments in your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit speaks to us, and not only speak, God, but convict. Shine the light of your truth into our lives. Expose us so that when you come, we'll be saved. Lord, when it's all said and done, let nobody remember the messenger, not even so much the message, God, but the master that is in the message. We love you, God. We thank you if you never do another thing. Save us into your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. God's gallery. The Ephesian church, this, well, the Ephesian letter, rather, is much different than all of the other 13 New Testament letters that Paul wrote. Paul was, in some sense, not only a preacher, but he was a pastor as well. Follow me. Paul, on his missionary journeys, would come and preach Jesus and him crucified to whole cities, uh, to Gentile and to pagan people. And by the time he left, most of the cities that Paul went to, almost everybody was baptized or converted. Then he would move on to another city in a place as the Holy Spirit led. But he would not just leave them. Paul would, even as he traveled to different places, he would take time out of his schedule And write letters back to the churches where he was to check up on them and to see how they were doing. Usually it was always to correct an issue in the church or to address specific circumstances and issues within each congregation. Paul wrote to the Roman church because the believers there had tension between each other, between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church because the believers there were sorely divided. The members were suing each other, taking each other to Judge Judy, taking each other to court. Hmm. (laughs) Sexual immorality was taking place, idolatry was taking place. People did not even believe that Jesus rose from the dead. So Paul wrote to correct some of the issues. He wrote to the church in Galatia because some of the believers were racist and prejudiced against other cultures, sexes, and religions. But when we come to the letter of Ephesians and the book of Ephesians we find in the Bible, there does not seem to be any specific issue that he's writing to. The fact is, Ephesians is a very unusual letter. And as one reads the book of Ephesians, it has an interesting way uh, to it. Paul writes in a different style now. He uses high and exalted language that he uses nowhere else in his other letters. And Even though it is believed that Paul is sitting in jail somewhere in a Roman prison, it seems as though this brother is worshiping God on a whole nother level. In fact, one scholar says you can't even appreciate this thing. Unless you're in the spirit of worship yourself. And as I read this text during the week with my preacher's mindset, I came to the conclusion that it really sounds like Paul is preaching in this text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And as I kept reading reading the text, brothers and sisters, it seemed that Paul didn't use very good punctuation. It just seemed like the brother was furiously writing a whole bunch of run-on sentences, like he's just running off at the mouth. It seems like Paul is preaching. But not just the old, ordinary, everyday Sabbath sermon. Seems like Paul is preaching a sermon that only comes uh, after he's caught hell throughout the entire week. (laughs) He's preaching one of those sermons that only comes after he's been through a near-death experience. And he knows that it's only God that brought him through. Type of sermon that seems like it only comes after the choir by some uh, divination of God. They are singing your favorite song that day. That song that always messes you up. A song that always causes you to cry and remind you of how good God is. And Paul just wants to scrap the preliminaries and scrap the welcome and scrap the tithes and offering and just celebrate God. Seems like he's preaching one of those sermons that only comes after you're not only hearing God, you're feeling God now. Deep down in your spirit, Paul just wants to celebrate. Paul goes in on this letter and he highly esteems God. Well, what was making Paul preach? Well, I believe that Paul was just sitting up in jail thinking about grace and i got good reason and instead of being only focused on the ephesian church it is believed that paul was writing to all christians throughout the land especially gentiles who had recently converted to christianity paul writes to them to tell them the goodness of god to remind them of where they came from and to let them know what they should be doing now that they are saved. And when we get to chapter 2, he gives us the most concise and scholarly treatment of grace that is found anywhere in the Bible. Paul makes a vivid contrast between what man is by nature and what man can become through grace. Well, we have to ask ourselves tonight, what in the world is man by nature? What are we? He answers us in a very concise way. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3, Paul says that we were dead in transgressions and sins. We once walked according to the pattern of this world. We fulfilled the lust of the flesh and we fulfill the lust of our minds, Paul is trying to let us know we ought not forget where we came from. There is not one person sitting in this building or one person in the world who has confessed Christ that has not one time or another been bound by sin. Message Bible tells us that at this time, at the position before we met God, we breathed in corruption and evil and exhaled disobedience. In fact, it goes so far as to say it's a wonder that God did not lose his temper with us and destroy us all. What is man by nature? Paul says before God, we were dead in trespasses and sins. Transgressions meaning that we strayed off the path. Sins meaning that we missed the mark every single time. We were dead, brothers and sisters. I need you to get that. There was no life in us. We were unconscious to the glory of God. We were blind to the light of Christ and deaf to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Okay. We did not know God, not at all. And because we neither knew God nor gave him glory, we were dead, rock bottom, dead in our sins. It says that we walked according to the course of this world. We were like mindless zombies. We followed the habits and deceptions of the world. Not only were we in the world, we were of the world. We according, we walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. In other words, we were following Satan and did not even know it. We all conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And notice, brothers and sisters, that Paul doesn't say some of us, Paul says we all, everybody, we all were sinners. We all were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We all had hearts that were filled with wickedness. And if you really have to be honest with yourself tonight, you have to admit that you haven't always been perfect. Truth is, you're not really faultless. You've messed up probably a few times. Just come on and say amen. You've gone down the wrong road a few times in your life. You've done a few things you're probably not proud of and you don't want anybody to see. Truth be told, maybe you weren't even supposed to be here today. Maybe, just maybe, you should have been dead, sleeping in your grave. Maybe, just maybe, the decisions that you made in the past don't warrant the blessings that you actually have now. God had grace on you. Maybe, just maybe, you were living a life that was completely out of harmony with God. We ought not forget where we came from. Am I right about it? We ought not forget how deep down God had to reach to pull us back up. And I firmly believe tonight that our appreciation for the grace of God is directly proportionate to how much we recognize how lost we were before God. You can't appreciate nothing if you don't recognize how lost you were. Paul says we were dead in transgressions and sins. This was our nature. This was our position before we met God. The fact is that all people, without exception, every single one of us was dead. And the mere fact that all people, without exception, committed sin proves that without Christ, we all have a sinful nature. But then I keep on reading. And I find out God's response to our position. And Paul just says, but God. Why'd you do it, Paul? But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, my Lord. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul speaks about God's response. He says God is rich in mercy. Not only is God merciful, he's rich in the stuff. Bible says that our mercies are new every morning. His mercies do not run out with his children. It was because of mercy That even though we should have received God's wrath, he did not treat us as our sins deserve. David says that he remembers our frame. He remembers that we are just dust. And because we ask, he has moved our sins as far as the east is from the west. I just thank God tonight for Jesus, don't you? I know if this thing was left up to me, I'd still be dead in sins and transgressions. Well, Paul doesn't say not only is he rich in mercy, he says his great love. Great love is love, brothers and sisters, that just doesn't make sense. The great controversy just doesn't make sense. How in the world can an omnipotent God be conceived in the womb of one of his creations And then allow himself to be put on the cross and die. Just doesn't make any sense. And the only words we have to describe it is great love. But God. Paul says that before we knew we needed Christ, Christ died for us and made us alive. It is inconceivable that Christ would even leave glory and be born of a virgin and die the sinner's death instead of the sinner himself. That the creator would dare enter his own creation. Brothers, it just doesn't make any sense. Hmm. And if he had not let the Roman centurions put the nails in his hands and in his feet, there is no doubt about it, we all would still be dead. Hmm. How little do we contemplate the price that Christ paid for us? Sister White says we should probably spend one thoughtful hour a day. Just thinking about the last scenes of Christ's life. And how he allowed himself to go all the way to the cross and die the most pitiful death of that time period. What is man by nature? Well, he's dead. What is man with grace? He's alive in Christ. And I thank God today that as that old saying says, although I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply. Very deeply, stained with sin, sinking to rise no more. But then the master of the sea, he heard my despairing cry, and from the waters lifted me. Now, safe am I. Well, through Christ, we have imputed righteousness, not imparted. No way, Jose. We have imputed righteousness. Imparted means that you had something to do with it, but Paul says, it's not of works. Christ did it through grace. And we try to say, well, our part is faith. And yes, that's true. But faith is simply the channel of salvation. It's not the means. Y'all didn't get that. Faith is the channel, not the means of salvation. Only Christ has saved us. Hmm. Well, finally, after, after Paul discusses our position, And after he discusses uh, God's response to our position, he moves to where I really want to spend the rest of our time tonight. Ephesians 2 verse 10. Hmm. For we are his workmanship Hmm. created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm going to try my best tonight to make this as plain as I possibly can, and then I'm going to get out of your way. Is that all right? I love music. I notice that in music, I find both solace and excitement. Sometimes in my dark moments, when, when words alone just don't seem to, to do what it needs to do in my life, putting those same words to a nice baseline, my brother. And a very nice melody can make a world of difference for me. In fact, one of my favorite pastimes is sitting before my window with my guitar and making music. Not only do I enjoy listening to music, I like making music too. In fact, even with my limited knowledge of music, I have made songs that I would say today I'm somewhat proud of. But the one thing that irks me, brothers and sisters is when I create my music and I share it with someone else, and then they mess it up. Hmm. They get the pitch wrong in the tempo. They're off key when they're singing it. And God forbid they even mess up the words. And it hurts me because my music is an expression of who I am. Hmm. Somebody to mess that up, it kind of hurts. So now I understand why musicians take such skill in the music that they create. Well, it's not only musicians, it's poets too. To be able to use words to paint a picture in someone's mind takes great creativity and skill. And poems are often birthed out of great feeling and great emotion. But no poet, brothers and sisters, get this, No poet wants his poems misrepresented apart from their intended meaning. I read poetry from time to time, and sometimes I wonder how Emily Dickinson or Langston Hughes would feel if they were here today to see how we have interpreted their poems. Because their poems are an expression of who they are. Well, it's not just musicians, and it's not just poets. The fact is, it's artists too. And I have not come across an artist or a painter or a sculptor yet who wants his work described with very primitive words or shown in galleries where the light is so wrong that the brightness and boldness of the paint does not meet the eye with the same emotion and expression that they wanted it to. Hmm. Because their work is an expression of who they are. It is their work. It is the creation of their own hands, their workmanship. Well, truth be told, Paul says we are his workmanship Hmm. created in Christ Jesus. In other words, we are his masterpiece. Oh, don't get me wrong. God has created much. I marvel many days and I stand in shock and in awe of the stars that God has hung in the sky. And I marvel at the sun and the moon and only God can tell them when to rise and to set. I marvel at nature and I marvel at the many creatures that he has created. Even Ellen White says that God is love is, is upon every bud and every opening spire of grass. I marvel at what God has created. And I ask like God, I ask God just like David, what is man that thou art mindful of him? But one author put it this way. He says that man will go out of his way to go out into the world and stand in awe of all that God has made without paying attention to his own self. Hmm. Did you not know that we were created in the image of God? Hmm. And he actually took his time with us. We are his masterpiece. Greatest creation, but not just us, brothers and sisters, the new us. I mean the sinner that is saved by grace. Paul is saying that we are recreated in Christ Jesus. God took us when we were dead in sins and made us alive and recreated us. Does not the Bible say, behold, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That God would take a low-down, dirty sinner and change him into a born-again believer. That God would take our filthy rags and wash them in his blood. I believe we are God's masterpiece. He has put his most work into us, and he has chosen that every sinner saved by grace be the premier expression of of who he is. I need you to follow me tonight. Hmm. And those of us who are saved by grace, those of us who know what it is to be dead in transgressions and sins, I want to let you know that in some sense, you are God's music to the world. And he has composed your song with his own hand. For only God can take a few low notes in your life. And take a few high notes and make a harmony out of you. Um, Let me help somebody tonight. You are God's painting to the world. God has taken your empty, useless canvas and made a work of art. You are God's poem. And He has taken His pen of transformative power and rewritten your story. Well, if you've ever seen a painter in the process of painting, truth is you might not see any uh, beautiful picture at first. But they place a few strokes here, don't they? And a few strokes there. And before you know it, uh, at this empty canvas, and, and now you see a beautiful painting. God did the same thing with your life and with my life. People may have looked at your life and your situation and they could not possibly see anything beautiful coming out of it. But God made you a masterpiece. Amen. Y'all just think I'm being cute up here, don't you? I know. I know. But the truth is, I have seen God take out his chisel and hammer away at the sins of man. I have seen God take out his tuning fork. And taking people who are out of tune with God and out of tune with his word and make a beautiful song out of them. The truth is, tonight, that's why I love coming to church. Because I just often feel like I'm in God's gallery. <laughs> where his works of art are on display. And I look around the room and not for one moment am I fooled. I know that all have sinned. Fallen short of the glory of God. You weren't always the work of art. You are today. In fact, inside of this church, we got some liars. Come on now. We got some cheaters. We got all kind of people up in here. The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory. Hmm. But now we're works of art. And God has put us on display. I feel like he didn't just put us on display so that we could sit around in the church and look pretty. No, but I I feel like God has put us on display so that through us, through our stories, he can show the world what he is like and what he can really do. We are God's music, even though we all represent different instruments The truth is, when we play God's song of redemption together, we become the symphony of salvation. We become the band of the blood of Jesus. When the world hears our song of redemption, they will be drawn to him. Many of you can probably sing that song today, a wonderful change has come over me. Things I used to do, I don't do anymore. Paul says we were recreated. Now what God expects is the fruit of good works. The Bible says, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. We weren't created to make ourselves look good. We were created to make God look good. In fact, one of my preachers I heard the other day, he said one day he was ironing his shirt. <laughs> he said out of the blue, his shirt began to talk to him. The shirt told him, said, Pastor, you know, I, huh, I don't like it when you put that hot iron on me. He says, why? The shirt says, because I'm afraid you're going to burn me. Say, shirt, don't worry about that. I'm not going to burn you. The fact is, I have to iron you to get all of the wrinkles out of you. Because when you look good, you make me look good. And I feel like God is doing the same thing in our life. Changing our story complete. Wiping our slate clean. Making us better, much better than we were before. Paul says we are his workmanship. Those of us who are new in Christ, (laughs) we were created in order to serve the kingdom of God through good works. While prior to salvation, the lost, those people that were lost, meaning us, were characterized by transgressions and sins. Now those that are saved are distinguished by works performed not to secure salvation, but as the fruit of salvation. So that salvation and fruit, salvation and good works should never be disconnected. For if we are saved, where is the evidence of our salvation? Ought not the evidence to be visible to the world? What are you showing the world, brothers and sisters? Are you showing them through your life that God is alive and well? Are you showing them through your life that God is still working on the behalf of men? Is what you're doing right now displaying to the world that you have been recreated in Christ Jesus? Where is your fruit and the good works that God has created and recreated you for? Has the Holy Spirit baptized you afresh Where is your joy? Where is your peace? Where is your love? I had to ask myself, even today, brothers and sisters, how can I not produce fruit when I am a living testimony of what God can do with rubbish? (laughs) God expects that we rightly represent him through good works. For if we are truly saved and in relationship with Jesus, the evidence that we have been with the Lord will rise to the surface. Does not the Bible say, let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? Good works works, and glorify your father which is in heaven. The truth is tonight we are God's masterpiece. And through us, God shows the world what he is really like. But unless we are truly washed in the blood and baptized in the spirit, we will always misrepresent God. For some people who don't know God, we are the only Bible they will ever read. And might be the only Jesus they will ever know this side of glory. As we go out into the world, the recreated works of art, God created us to be, we ought to give people a right representation of who God is. Do you agree with me tonight? Don't you know that we are sons and daughters of God? Does not the Bible tell us that? And just like people judge the parents by the children, so the world is judging the father by us. I remember so many times in my life when I would act out of character or get out of line, my mother would come to me and say, son, now we didn't train you to be that way. In other words, what she was saying is, I don't want people to think That you grew up in the coaxome household with no home training. Get it together. Okay. And we ought to represent the father well. Do you agree with me tonight? And be a living expression of who we serve. We ought not be so legalistic, brothers and sisters, because God is rich in mercy. We ought not be so sad and stoic and humdrum Christians throughout every day of our life because our God is a God of joy. We ought not be so condemning because our God is a God of love. And People from time to time ought to be able to see Christ through us. We are the work of art that is in God's gallery. Sinners saved by grace so that when the atheist comes... He does not need to know every single doctrine and read through every page of scripture before he sees God. He can see Christ through you and your good works. Homeboy can look at you and see that God has literally recreated you. And brothers and sisters, I kid you not tonight. It costs Christ everything to restore you. Went on the Internet today to see how much paintings cost to be restored. Brothers and sisters, it can get into the millions of dollars. And for God to have created us from the foundation of the world and then to watch us go astray and then to come down to earth and die for us, brothers and sisters, it costs him everything. Well, I'll end like this. I read a book called the case for christ how many of you read that book case for christ case for christ written by written by a lawyer named lee strobel this brother said he was tired of hearing about all the stories of jesus he wanted to get the truth on the matter so he set out and went all across the world and he uh, interviewed scholars and theologians and doctors and lawyers and everybody he could find get the truth the real nitty-gritty about Jesus well he had a question about the crucifixion so he went to one of the leading doctors in the world and he interviewed him and he said doc I want you to study history and look at crucifixion and look at the story of Jesus and tell me what Jesus went through for mankind here's what he came up with firstly Jesus would have gone through hypovolemic shock caused by losing a large amount of blood. At that time, the heart begins to race and pump blood that is not there. The pressure drops. The kidneys begin to fail. The person becomes very thirsty as the body craves sufficient fluids, which is why Christ would have staggered all the way to Calvary. The fact is, Christ was already in critical condition before he even got to the cross. He says that the Romans would have used spikes that were five to seven inches long and tapered with a sharp point. And they were not driven into his hands, brothers and sisters, because if they put the nail in his hands, his weight would have caused the, f- the uh, flesh to rip and he would have fallen off the cross. They put the five to seven inch nails in his wrist. The doc says that when they banged those uh, spikes into his wrist, it would have crushed the median nerve in his wrist and caused him excruciating pain. But at least it would have held him in place. Well, he talks about the pain as well. pain of crucifixion was so severe back then that they literally did not have words to describe it. And in fact, that's where we get the word excruciating from. It means out of the cross. A new kind of pain. Well, when they placed the cross in the ground, it would have jolted his body, causing even more pain as the cross would have settled to its base and causing uh, the flesh around where the nail marks were in his wrist and his feet to even rip more flesh. His arms would have been stretched probably six inches in length. And both of his shoulders would have more than likely been disconnected. That's what Christ went through. Finally, he says that Christ probably would have suffered from respiratory acidosis. Because he would have had to push up to breathe and to exhale This would have caused carbon dioxide in his blood to dissolve as carbonic acid, which eventually led to an erratic heartbeat, which is why people say today that Christ died of a broken heart. Suffering was so painful and so severe. Spirit of prophecy tells us that while Jesus was there on the cross, a small company of angels was marshaled to the area. And she says that the older angels had to hold back the younger ones because they could not understand why Christ would allow himself to be crucified for nobody and for sinners like us. She says at that time they had their swords unsheathed. And they were ready to destroy the world. If God had given the command, they would have destroyed every last one of us. But praise be to God tonight. Christ would not give it. And he died on the cross. Just to restore the image of God in us. The Bible says that we are his workmanship. We're the work of his hands. His sweat. His blood, his toil has gone into us. Says because he has recreated us, we are supposed to go out and have good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Brothers and sisters, the truth is tonight, your work of art. God made you beautiful. Nothing in God's gallery amongst all the artifacts, amongst all the creatures that he has created is more beautiful than you and I. And I don't mean just John coax I mean sinner saved by grace. There is nothing more Christ could have done. He has recreated each and every one of us turned our lives upside down he has rewritten our story he has repainted our canvas he has rewritten and recomposed our song so that now we are different individuals and because of that what manner are we supposed to go out into the world he says we're supposed to have good works and represent Christ well so the question we have to ask ourselves tonight how are we representing God Are we representing him well, brothers and sisters? Do we tell the story of redemption? Do we have love on our lips? Are we condemning people? Are we legalistic? Are we going out into the world making God seem harsh and angry? But are we sincere Christians? Are we a new creation that God has created? Tonight, just bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you, Lord. While we were yet dead in sins, oh God, Christ, you died for us. Thank you, Lord. Putting up with humanity, oh God. Thank you, God, for going to the cross for sinners like me. Lord, there's someone tonight God, there's someone tonight in this place who needs to be recreated right now. I'm praying for that person. Lord, I can't leave, God, without giving somebody an opportunity to accept Christ for the very first time. If you're like that, just raise your hand in this place. Just raise your hand. Don't look at anybody. Don't look at anybody else. It's not about them. It's about you.